Hello, everyone, and welcome to Booklist's Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right into your little ears. Here's the thing. Summer is just around the corner, which is hilarious to me since my car is buried under a foot of snow, and I've just decided that I don't need groceries anymore. I'm never leaving my house. Even scarier than my impending case of scurvy is the fact that summer means summer reading. Don't worry, Booklist Shelf Care the Podcast is here for you. In this episode, I talk to the folks behind Summer Scares, a comprehensive summer reading program for adult, teen, and middle grade readers that uses a selection of horror titles as a jumping off point for super fun programming and for fostering that lifelong love of reading. Summer Scares is a partnership between the Horror Writers Association, United for Libraries, Book Riot, and your friends here at Booklist. They just announced the nine titles for 2021, and you can find those in the show notes at booklistonline.com shelf hyphen care. But what are we going to do in this episode? Okay, first, I talked to author Sylvia Moreno-Garcia and librarian horror expert Becky Spratford about what Summer Scares is all about, and what readers can expect from the selected titles. Then I talked to librarians Conrad Stump and Evelyn Gathu about both creating and using the programming guide that accompanies Summer Scares. Lastly, Booklist's own Julia Smith and I chat about horror for younger readers and when a monster isn't really a monster. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. First up, I talked to two of the key players from Summer Scares, author Silvia Moreno-Garcia, whose book Mexican Gothic was a library reads pick for June in 2020, is the celebrity spokesperson this year. Her next horror novel, Certain Dark Things, is out in August from Tor Nightfire. Becky Spratford is the proprietress of RA for All, which includes RA for All Horror, where you can find all the Summer Scares info. She's also the author of the Reader's Advisory Guide to Horror, the third edition of which is coming out in August from ALA Editions. The three of us chat about why horror is so good for readers, what goes into picking a Summer Scares selection, and a few specific books on the list. And all of the titles we discuss, including all of the Summer Scares picks for 2021, will be in the show notes on booklistonline.com shelf hyphen care. Hi, everybody. I am very excited to be talking to Becky Spratford and Sylvia Moreno-Garcia about a very scary program that is happening this summer and has happened for the past few summers, and that is Summer Scares. Becky, can you tell us a little bit about the program and why you want to torture us all? Yes, I definitely do. So the idea of Summer Scares was born on the deck of the Queen Mary a few years ago between... Wait, is that real? Oh, we totally was born on the Queen Mary, yes, at a StokerCon where I was a guest of honor. And it was myself, author J.G. Vardy, who's also on the board for Horror Writers, and Grady Hendricks. And the idea was, what if we could create a reading program to get all ages excited about horror through libraries? Um, we could do this. We're going to put it with summer reading, which is the most popular time of leisure reading for all ages. And you know, we made some rules about what titles to pick, but the key was to get people excited. 
And Grady did volunteer to be our very first spokesperson. And that leads to Sylvia, who's here on the call too, because without that sort of celebrity spokesperson, someone that libraries already trust, who draws interest, we wouldn't get traction. So first year it was Grady Hendricks, the second year, Stephen Graham Jones. And this year, it's library favorite, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Yeah. And Sylvia, you are for sure a library favorite. I mean, Mexican Gothic was on Library Reads, right? So everybody loves you. Uh, yeah, no, it's been very fun. I I think horror is a genre that unfortunately hasn't had a lot of attention um, mm -hmm. since the you know, it was very big in the 1980s. And then in the 1990s, the commercial publishing field kind of shrank. We saw that in bookstores, there was, there hasn't been a horror section for a really long time in, in many bookstores. In, in terms of libraries, sometimes the horror collection is kind of limited in the sense yeah. that you've got a lot of Stephen King and yes. maybe <laughs> one, you know, a couple of classics like Dracula, that sort of stuff. And then not much else that makes it difficult for patrons to find stuff or they simply are kind of afraid to read horror is another common one people yeah. say oh I don't know about that because again it hasn't been part of the popular lexicon for a long time so people are reluctant or they don't understand what the genre is like so it, this it's it's a genre that is very rich, has a really long history, and there's a lot of people working in it in different modes. Mm -hmm. But there's this kind of reluctance to entry from people who haven't been reading it for a while, and I think this program helps you figure out some titles that we're suggesting, and also some other comparable titles that if that you could try. If you like this one, then there's some other ones that we are going to put there that you could find and some material that puts it all in context and lets you right. understand why a title might be interesting to you. We work very hard with that knowledge sort of in our back pocket, right? Knowing that we have to pick titles that will be representative of the genre for libraries. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we set up before we even started was to say, okay, we want these titles to be no more than 10 years old and no newer than two years old. The idea there is that they're relevant, that they're probably still in print. They do need to still be in print. but yeah. And that the authors, the other rule is that the authors are alive so they can help work with us and work with libraries. And again, we're going to have a very vibrant online presence this summer mm -hmm. with our authors making visits to libraries. But um, the other thing is each section of adult teen and YA authors, I'm sorry, teen and middle grade authors, we have to make sure that each list on its own is representative of the genre too. So we're very conscious right. of that. So we look for to have a title that everybody knows. So in YA, that's The Diviners by Libba Bray. And the full list Susan will post in the show notes and yeah. on the website. You all but... thought, you will, Becky beat me to it, but it will be in the show notes. <laughs> so then we have, you know, a title that you probably have and that you've heard of and that, you know, you can find reviews of easily. And then we try to have a title that is a little outside the mainstream, but still critically acclaimed and something we really think you need to know about. So for example, in the adult area this year, and it's a title that Sylvia brought to our attention, a title I knew about also, but it also shows our rules. So let me bring that one up. It's called The Cipher by Kathy Koja 
mm-hmm. which originally came out in 1991 and won the Stoker Award for Best First Novel. Um, Kathy is a very much a pioneering person in horror community. And the cipher is a pioneering work in the emerging trend of body horror too. Mm-hmm. It had a 2020 reprint. So Sylvia brought it up to say, and I had never even considered it because I know the title, but it's older. And she's like, hey, it had a 2020 reprint. Can we consider it? Right. And it seemed like the perfect example of using our rules to our advantage. Now, that's the other point I want to bring up. The celebrity spokesperson does a lot more than draw interest. They bring their own unique view to the list. So there's mm-hmm. one example. But I know Sylvia was very much working with us to try to get Canadian authors. So, you know, she can talk about one of our Canadian authors that we've included. I tend to gravitate towards things that are less known and mm-hmm. are a little bit intersectional or that sit in the middle of different convergence zones, to put it like that. So things yeah. that are hard to classify, that are quirky, that could be one thing or could be another. That's just in general in my reading. Mm-hmm. And a so, librarian's nightmare, but yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so some of the stuff that I brought was that were things that you, you know, it it can be, it's like a platypus. It can be a bird. <laughs> it can be a mammal. The cipher is is a little bit of that because it is, yes, it's an older title that is being re-released. It's technically, I would say it's weird fiction and weird fiction is this subcategory that encompasses, you know, weirdness. It's, it's this very mm-hmm. malleable kind of category. And then I also talked about some Canadian authors. One of the authors that I talked about and who ended up being picked was the author of The Marrow Thieves, Cherie de Maline. And Cherie, I think, is someone who is very well known in in Canada because mm-hmm. they've won so many prizes and been and have had national bestsellers. Uh, they were on the Canada Reads list. So they are really incredibly famous. I discovered that they're not famous outside of Canada. Several of their titles, but specifically The Marrow Thieves is a book that you could say it's it's a platypus. It's more than one than one thing at the same time. It's set in an apocalyptic future Canada in a post-apocalyptic kind of dystopian scenario. And we've got the situation in which there's been, I guess, an ecological catastrophe and all these changes to the coastlines, to there's pollution, busted oil pipelines. And what this has caused, it has caused basically white people to lose the ability to dream. Oh. And so they are now, but indigenous people of Canada, which our protagonist is an indigenous person, still have that that capacity. So mm-hmm. what white people are doing is they're kidnapping them and extracting from their marrowbone material, which scientists think is the key to restoring the dreaming of white people that is you know that they have the ability in their in their dna and it's because if you don't dream if you don't sleep you know you know bad things happen right to you all that kind of stuff Uh, so this is a really interesting kind of story because the post-apocalypse is is the bread and butter of many horror stories Mm -hmm. if you read the stand if you read other kinds of of stories yes after the post-apocalypse there's monstrous stuff happens but this is using it in a in a neat way it's it's looking at it as a way to understand i think the indigenous experience in Mm -hmm. canada 
to make a metaphor about the residential indigenous residential school system in Canada. Yeah. You also talk about identity and to embed an element that normally I don't think would be embedded in, in kind of a traditional speculative fiction story, well, science fiction and fantasy or horror story, which is the dreaming part mm -hmm. of, of that. I think some people might say, oh, that's, you know, a little bit too weird. You know, what's that about dreaming? But it, go it goes with this theme because it's part, again, of indigenous culture. And, and it runs with it in a very science fictional theme and also in a very creepy way, because yeah. what is happening to these kids is is really very creepy. So I recommended it because of that. And I think you can call it sci-fi mm -hmm. I think you can also say it's it's horror because of that dystopian angle which is really a big part of the horror tradition but here instead of having you know zombies chomping people and you have to survive it's like indigenous people having to survive right and what I love about what Sylvia brought up is another factor of what we're doing here and first of all she's showcasing to everyone why we were so glad to have her as our spokesperson but also we go out of our way to provide a range of perspectives and scare levels in the summer scares list, understanding okay. that horror is so broad because it's an emotion and people feel it in different ways. Let's talk about some of the ranges that are represented in the list. You talked about scare levels, which I'm interested in, but then I think there are other sort of levels that you want represented too. So can you just talk about what mixtures are in the list? So each set of three has a representative scare level. So we'll have a tamer book, a more, you know, a middle book and a more terrifying book. We're especially cognizant of that in the children and the teen where we purposely add a little bit more of a fun book. Mm -hmm. So the undead girl gang in the teen is an example. Um, and, and actually she, the author Anderson is a former school librarian, which helped in her getting picked also. Oh, yay. But we also have really big concerns on own voices and inclusion and diversity. So we require that 30% of the titles represent diverse voices and that at least 50% are women. And in fact, in this case, I think we're way over 50% this year. So there are other things that go into it to make sure the list is representative of the genre and of mm -hmm. the collections we should have so that all perspectives are represented. And I think that's really nice too for readers and for librarians who are running the program, because I think folks might not put a post-apocalyptic book in horror. You know, they might think, well, that's going to go in science fiction or something. And even though there's crossover, Sylvia, that you mentioned with the Marrow Thieves, it's still, you know, you want people to recognize, like, you're, you're also reading horror. And I think the hunger is historical. Is that is that right? Right. That's right. And as Sylvia brought up, we also really focus on read-alikes, comparable titles as part of the program that we provide. We, we get an actual program guide out to library workers from, with our help with our partner, Conrad Stump. Mm -hmm. And that is important too, because the first year all we did was give people a list and they're like, what do we do with this? So right. now we actually provide a, a, a guide. So what do you hope, I, I guess there's sort of two audiences for this, or maybe one as a conduit, but so what do you hope librarians take away from this list and this program? And what do you hope their patrons get from it? Librarians being the conduit to the patrons. <laughs> maybe that's too complicated. I'll let Sylvia talk about what she hopes, because she signed on to do this voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did she know what she was getting into? Are you sure you were honest with her, Becky? Yeah, no, I, I understood. I, I talked to Stephen, who did it the year before. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the horror community is is very small. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of know each other. Like, I, I know the two previous judges just, uh, you know, because we've been at the same party. That's one thing that I think sometimes people don't understand is that horror ha- has been for a long time such a kind of small you know, arena that you put us in a room and we all kind of talk to each other. Some people think authors have big rivalries and uh, often we don't. We're just reading each other's arcs and chatting and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, one of the things is that, you know, standing in that room sometimes and chatting to these brilliant people, I feel sad that more people don't know about them or haven't read about their work. And people will ask me online or whatever, would you recommend do you know any diverse horror or do you know any horror, for example, it's, you know, for women in horrors month, Do you know, any horror by women. Sometimes people will say, I have never read a horror novel by a woman. And it's just really kind of sad when I hear that because I know all these folks that are still alive and that I talk to and, you know, all the dead ones that I read too, <laughs> uh, but I don't talk to. Uh, and, uh, and so I feel sometimes like, Oh, I wish I could share some of these with others. And this is a chance to do a little bit of that. I really like the guide from the previous year that I saw, like I said, it had a lot of comparable titles. It provided a context. So it seems to me that it's, it's like a gateway. So if you read the hunger by Alma, well, that's a historical take on, a very real moment in American history when people were lost in the Donner Pass and they kind of had to resort to cannibalism. And obviously it's a fictionalized take. It's it's very, you know, but but it's based in, in real history. So if somebody who likes history said, oh, oh, there is like historical horror or horror set in historical times, then maybe that could get them into the, you know, into the streams. So, and they could look for more of that in the recommended reading list, as opposed to thinking that there's only one historical horror book and they will never find anything else. So I think it's a great way to get people who really are newbies into the field in an easy and simple way and also to ease librarians into it in an easy and simple way because that's also a big challenge I sometimes find that librarians tell me they just don't know what to tell people they're not subject experts in this arena and so they're a a little bit afraid of tackling it and this I think just makes you feel a little bit more confident because it's like a starter kit later on if they oh yeah I kind of like these ideas they can they can continue right so right and they can use last year's lists and you know just because the year's over doesn't mean you have to be done with it. I think that that's the whole point of the program. We're trying to make sure we highlight horror with a capital H by highlighting titles exactly as Sylvia said, it's a gateway, right? For people who are uncomfortable. Subject experts are helping you, giving you the starter kit and sending you on your way. And we have seen an increase in uptick in people both ordering horror reading horror, buying horror. I mean, Sylvia mm-hmm. and Grady, two of our past two spokespersons, made it onto the New York Times bestseller list for the first time. And it was not their first books this year. Yay, congrats. Yeah, so it, we're, we're trying to help the entire genre by focusing on a few people. And we're just really glad to have the support of Booklist, Book Riot, United for Libraries, and the Horror Writers Association to help spread the word. So thank you for having us to do that. Sylvia, you mentioned Women in Horror Month. And I know that's in February, which we are in as we record this, and it will be 
still be Women in Horror Month when this uh, episode is released. So let's talk about that. What does that mean? What is it? What do you hope to? What do you all hope to do with Women in Horror Month? Yeah, it, it's a weird little mini holiday. I know some people don't like it because they say, oh, I don't want to be called out as a woman. I just want to be a writer. Like, and sometimes patrons also think that, you know, right. what does it matter, the the gender of the person? But, you know, unfortunately, it is still a very big thing. Like I said, it's a hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, often I still see lists that around, you know, October or when, when the, when, you know, when the horror stuff seems to to go to the top in in popular culture and often you have like uh things like the the 10 greatest horror authors of all time and there's not a single woman and you know mary shelley wrote frankenstein she is you know right big in sci-fi for that reason but also in horror and we've got people like shirley jackson who did a lot of stuff that was mainstream and very big etc etc so even though Sometimes we might think, why do we need to focus on, you know, just women? The reality is that it is still very hard for certain people to get attention in the field. And that includes people of color, of course, that includes women Mm -hmm. too, in general. I think the intersection, once you get intersectional, once you say women of color, it gets even harder (laughs) sometimes to find that kind of stuff. And this kind of month is just an opportunity for you to look at those look at those titles and look at those choices and maybe explore some areas that you hadn't explored well and I always tell people well if you if if you already know a lot of women that write horror and and you have um like no like your shelves are full of them well then you know maybe this is not you know, like it's not going to be anything new or big to you. But if you turn around and you look at your shelf and you discover, like we sometimes do, oh my God, I have, you know, like, you know, 95% of my collection is not women. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's a chance to add some other stuff that you, that you hadn't seen before. And it's like the Canadian thing. Like I said, most people uh, in the United States, they, they wouldn't know Sherry because she's a big Canadian writer, but you, you, a big indigenous writer. And so if you already have a lot of indigenous Canadian writers on your shelf, maybe you would say, eh, you know, but if you have never heard of her, this might be an exciting moment. And it's the same thing with women of horror. I think, you know, it's, it it might be an eye opening moment for some people just to hear about some of the interesting choices that can be found out there. And, you know, libraries love a theme month. You know that, Susan. (laughs) We love something we can put on a display. Perfect. And the Women in Horror Month website is the collective that has been running it. And they make graphics every year that they allow everybody to use free of charge. And they have a press kit. So we can link to that and show people, you know, and they do something new every year. So it's it makes it easy to participate. I love it. Just like Summer Scares. So um, if folks are interested in finding out more about these titles and more about the program, where where should I send them via the show notes? I mean, Booklist is one of our sponsors, so I know oh, wonderful. that you will have a post up sometime in the middle of February. Um, but I do keep on RA for All Horror um, at the very top of the page. I keep the FAQ and resource page. Mm-hmm. I'll be turning it over to the new list on February 15th when it comes out. And there is an archive to past lists because as Susan mentioned earlier, the past lists work just as well. I love it. I love a past list. All right. Anything else you want to close up with? I want to thank Sylvia for her participation. 
She really has been wonderful to work with. And I'm glad to get to showcase her knowledge on the genre and not just her great writing to the rest of the library community. So thank you, Sylvia. Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, no, it's, um, I guess the only thing I would say is horror is not just for the summer or for Halloween, which we yeah. have to associate it with. It's it's a year-long thing, and we don't just read romance novels on Valentine's Day, yes. so we don't just have to read horror uh, on a specific time of the year. And that for people who have never tried it, it's not as scary as you think. And in this list, we do have different levels and themes, but if you don't find anything on this list, do go and look at some of the resources that are being provided at some of the websites like RA for All and other places, mm-hmm. like Horror Writers Association, Women in Horror Month lists, because there is probably something there for you and that you have never known existed and is just wonderful. And I think if you look at it, you will be pleasantly surprised. I love that. And I love that um, Summer Scares is helping to prepare librarians to field those kinds of questions from patrons. So thank you both for joining me and see you in the summer. Say, do you like reading? Do you like hearing what authors have to say about their writing? Then you've just got to hear the Shelf Care interview. It's a quick conversation between a book lister and a book person about their work, their inspiration, and whatever else we can fit in under 15 minutes. Hear Maggie Reagan talk to Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds about Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Hear Ronnie Curry chat with Susan Mwadi Daraj and Simon Nurali about their series for young readers, Farah Rocks and Sadiq, or to Saba Tahir, Nicole Andelfinger, and Sonia Lau and their graphic novel, A Thief Among the Trees. Hear Julia Smith talk to Tracy Hecht about the Nocturnal series, and more. Can you believe there's more? You can find the Shelf Care interview right on this here podcast feed or wherever you listen to Booklist Shelf Care the podcast. Happy listening! Summer reading ain't all about the books. I mean, it is about the books, but it's also about community, and all good summers reading have lots of great programming attached to it. Summer Scares is no different. Each year, Conrad Stump of the Springfield Green County Library in Missouri puts together a truly magnificent program guide that takes each of the books on the Summer Scares list and offers programming ideas, read-alikes, and discussion questions. It is truly magnificent. I spoke to Conrad and to Evelyn Gathu, who used the Summer Scares program extensively last summer at the Crystal Falls District Library in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Don't worry, pictures of the Franken-toys will be in the show notes. I'm talking to Conrad and Evelyn, and I'm very excited to get some boots-on-the-ground info about the Summer Scares program. But Conrad, I want to talk to you about the program guide, which we'll, we'll link to last year's program guide in the show notes. And truly, it is a thing of beauty. Well, thank you. I mean, I can't imagine the amount of work that goes into it, but what uh, was your goal for the program guide? What was some of the stuff that you wanted to make sure you included? Walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I started in libraries as a volunteer, and then my first job was in circulation, and then I moved to reference and then to local history. So I remember that feeling of being intimidated to share my ideas or to plan programs or to speak in front of groups, right? And I think a lot of librarians feel that way sometimes, and especially with horror programming or discussions, they're not quite sure how to approach it. Mm -hmm. And so what I really wanted to provide was not only a guide for 
librarians to uh, better engage their communities with the Summer Scares titles, but to kind of give them the confidence they needed to just, you know, engage with them in any way, whether that is just uh, book talking the books to patrons mm -hmm. or leading a book discussion or planning a one-off program or planning a series. Cause there's kind of a, a little formula to, to doing a series and they seem really cumbersome and difficult, but you just sort of have to follow the formula and then it's, it's not as bad as it seems. Right. And I think, you know, the timing of summer scares jumping in with an idea to integrate it into your, your regular library program, I think can also be really intimidating because for a lot of libraries, Summer reading is always a ton of work, but it's also sort of a well-oiled machine. And so presenting an idea that might shake things up, I think, could be a little scary. Yeah, and I think there are always ways, you know, whatever the, like, summer reading theme is, because there's usually a summer reading theme, mm -hmm. you can kind of take these titles and you can in incorporate at least one of them um, into, that, into that theme. Because, you know, they're so general and it's all yeah. about how you interpret it. So, I mean, I think it's just how you approach the titles. Right. So, so some of the things that you'll find in there, you'll find a book talk, you'll find a kind of a list of the appeal elements, programming suggestions and read-alikes. And my fave is the reading group guide because though that's always gold for folks reading a book yes. or leading a book <laughs> discussion. Yeah, and I think book discussions have changed so much with this pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. We've sort of moved them from these in-person meetings to different online platforms. And so there are a couple of things that I did when planning the discussion questions, right? The first is you want to kind of ask questions in a, in a general enough way that you're not going to, or that I'm not going to ruin them for the librarian using the guide. Yeah, but also that the librarian isn't going to spoil the story for the patron because right now, you know, these discussions aren't lasting just an hour. Sometimes they're lasting all month long online. Mm -hmm. And so you have to sort of, you know, appeal to the people who are coming to it late or maybe haven't had a chance to pick up the book or just wanting to kind of engage with the idea as opposed to the specific title. Right. You don't want your first question to be like, can you believe who the killer was? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You don't want to get too into the nitty gritty because then you're just, you're going to exclude people basically. Right. And um, so, you know, since we cover adults, teen, middle grade, you kind of, I had to kind of change the way that the questions are asked as I moved from adults to middle grade. And so they kind of become more general where they lead the the question leads to more of an expected answer mm -hmm. and the questions as you get closer to middle grade kind of connect more directly to the lived experiences of yeah. the, you know, discussion group, because you want, especially with younger people, you want them to be able to connect with that immediately and be able to, you know, uh, think of their own lives. And right. so they'll have more to talk about. And they're still kind of learning how to do that with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking in a group can be intimidating at any age. Yeah. Yes. So Evelyn, you took that program guide last summer and ran with it. So tell us about what you did in Crystal Falls. So I'm a relatively new person to libraries. I've only been a director for, well, almost two years. And so I got an email about summer scares and looked into it and ordered the books and got the program guide and created book clubs at our library. Mm -hmm. And it really was just great. You know, like I would get on conference calls with other librarians and it was all doom and gloom and COVID. And here we were having 
you know, like online book chats with the author. And I was getting new patrons that had never even been to the library before because of summer scares. And it was really fun. So I had managed to get together two groups. I had a middle readers group and I had an adult group and both groups, you know, they just didn't want to quit. I mean, my middle readers group, we went into the fall, they read sequels to some of the books and the adult group too. They asked me to, to do something for them so we could keep going And I ended up starting another online book program for them just to keep them busy until they could do summer scares again next summer. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk about that program that you? Well, sure. Yes. Like I'm from Crystal Falls is in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is a it's we don't have a lot of population up here and Mm -hmm. kind of a one of the last frontiers, if you will, (laughs) of the United States. And they just started last spring, the Upper Peninsula Authors and Publishers Association created a UP notable books list. Oh, fun. And so I thought, wow, this could work. So I talked to their president and got in touch. He got me the contact information for those authors from the very first year, from the first 10 books that they picked. And luckily we got eight of those authors to sign on. Nice. And now we're meeting monthly and we're getting um, over 30 people that are reading these UP books and talking about it. And the whole idea grew from what we were doing in summer scares, because what was so neat about summer scares is we met with the authors Mm -hmm. and like with the adults, you know, they had been in other book clubs and, you know, like authors have this sort of mystical aura around them. Like they just, they're not really people and, and to (laughs) connect with them and to find out, you know, why they wrote the book and how they got the idea. And then the publishing process. Oh, my goodness. What these people have to do to get their books to us. Yeah, it was it was great. Great. It was I just can't speak highly enough of Summer Scares and what it did for our library. And I bet you have a bunch of horror authors up there, too. I feel like my brief visit to the UP made me think it might be rife for some horror stories. Like a, a, you've got a Stephen King in the woods somewhere. So much so that one of the authors that I cannot get to commit to doing one of these book talks wrote a book called Supernatural Haunts. Oh. And he does not have a phone. The only way to get a hold of him is to to deal with the gas station down the street from where he lives. And (laughs) probably he won't be Skyping in. So, so yes, but you're right. You're right. It is kind of a, it can be kind of a scary area. Well, I, yeah, I don't mean, um, I mean, it was beautiful and lovely, but when you have isolation, I think that does make room for some, some ideas to fester. And a lot of the authors we talked to, they were, you know, when we, you know, the different book club members would tell them about what it was like up here and how they should set their next book up here. (laughs) So who knows? Oh my gosh. I hope there's like an influx of UP horror. That would be great. (laughs) Um, and Conrad, you also, in addition to writing the book on it, you also ran some programs at your library too. So do you want to talk about some of those things? Because you didn't strictly stick to the book, which you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And I mean, that's kind of the point of it. They're all kind of a jumping off point, right? So these are ideas that librarians can take and run with and sort of adjust however they need to, to mm-hmm. fit their their libraries, what they're interested in. So it's just to kind of give them an idea and to, you know, make it seem less scary. Right. (laughs) So I have a couple examples of programs that I've really liked that have, you know, sort of come out of this pandemic programming. And so one of my favorites is we had uh, Victor Laval, Mm -hmm. whose novella, The Battle of the Black Tom was a 2020 summer scares pick. 
we had him this past fall and I was able to use the exact idea for the author talk from the Summer Scares programming guide and use that in the fall. And that's something that we really want to emphasize is that these ideas and these guides are not just for the summer, they're for mm-hmm. librarians to use year round anytime. And so that was really great. And then another really interesting idea that's come out of the pandemic programming has been these program in a bag kits that mm-hmm. patrons can pick up at the library and take home. So this past fall, we did a Lovecraft Cthulhu themed program in a bag. Oh gosh, Cthulhu in a bag. Don't be nervous about that at all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nothing. So it had Lovecraft themed crafts, uh, word puzzles, book lists, and it even had like a little 3D printed Cthulhu monster. So it, you know, gives people something to keep and hold on to and think back fondly on, you know, the (laughs) library program in a bag that they got. So it's been interesting to sort of navigate how to change things to work with, you know, the way libraries are during this pandemic. And so in the 2021 programming guide, there will be even more of a focus on that, how you can sort of think outside of the box and uh, do more things virtually or connect with your patrons sort of in branch and in person through some of these ideas. I was just gonna say, Conrad's really right. That's one thing you didn't highlight is, but one of the great parts about the programming guide is for the middle readers, all these cool craft Mm -hmm. ideas. So like when they read case number 13, zombie kid, they got to make these amulets. We'll we'll include a picture in the show notes because- there's one another craft program you did that alarms me very much, but I want you to. Show. <laughs> oh, was it the Franken toy? Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, they love the Franken toy. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, I think it was it was so neat that that program guide was really versatile and really being closed. We could send these make and take kits to the kids at their homes, and they could they could them and then show the author what yeah. they need. And yeah, so so let's talk about the author. So part of the deal with summer scares is that the the authors whose books are chosen, they um, agree to be kind of available to libraries in the summer. But organizing an author visit seems like a lot. Um, and it is a lot. But um, can you guys talk about how you organize those visits, what your patrons expected from it? Any tips you have for people who are thinking about Uh, inviting an author. Yeah. And the great thing about Summer Scares is that, you know, anyone who's interested in having one of the authors at their libraries, they can reach out to Becky Stratford, they can reach out to me, and we can help connect them Mm -hmm. with those authors. And so, you know, one thing that I've found to be really great for our patrons and an easy way to approach an author visit is to just do a QA and a with them. And that can either be um, about a specific title, or it could just be more general about their writing you know, nice, it's casual, it is not as much pressure on right. the author to just do a Q&A with them. And, you know, they don't have to fill a whole hour by themselves. Right. And <laughs> so but really, everyone that I've dealt with has been gracious and kind and has been a good experience. And I think that, you know, author events, they are their uh, authors are kind of these mystical creatures, almost, right. um, who don't seem real. And so it, it provides something that's that feels unique for your patrons and sort of out of the ordinary. Right. So if you're interested in having an author, just please reach out because we can connect you with them. And and it's just a, a great way to do a, a library program and have kind of a keynote because that's what I always say with a, a series, you kind of need like a keynote, maybe a craft program, maybe a panel program, maybe a local history program. So, you know, and mm-hmm. if you have four programs, you have a series. So, right. Yeah, so get an author to kick off the series or to kind of close it out. 
Yeah. How about you, Evelyn? I couldn't agree more. I mean, the authors were all fantastic and they were so, and it, and two, I think a lot of people feel that authors are quiet people and they just write, but they love yes. to talk. They <laughs> love to talk. I mean, they, they have so much to tell you. I mean, they really complete the story that you go on when you read their book. So, I mean, they were all great, but very casual. I mean, it's just, you know, you just start with a simple question and, and everybody kind of gets over their nerves and you're talking to that person mm-hmm. on the computer, like, like they're right there with you. And when my adult, my middle readers, it was all virtual, but my adult readers, we were kind of a hybrid group. So we had some in the library on the zoom and we had some at home. So it was nice. Mm-hmm. So what about what just sort of general horror reading? What what are your patrons? Do you find that they're reading more horror now or more folks are kind of open to exploring it because of the scary times we live in or because of programming? Or Yeah, I think that anytime that there's kind of turmoil in the world mm-hmm. and things seem really scary, I feel like patrons... Uh, and readers just sort of gravitate toward those sorts of stories because it provides that escapism and it provides a way for them to sort of process those feelings in a safe space Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, awful things are going to happen in their reading, but like they're just, you know, in the comfort of their own home. And so I think that really pandemic horror, it has been sort of a little popular because that's what people are experiencing. Uh, And so, you know, we have definitely had more patrons seeking horror out. And of course, we do a lot of horror programming. I run a regular horror book discussion Mm -hmm. group. But I think it's becoming, you know, especially with what we, uh, the shows that are on TV now, it's becoming more and more mainstream and horror is being incorporated into more mainstream things. And so I think it's, you know, kind of losing the bad rap that it has had in the past. Right. Um, So we definitely see more people seeking it out. I think it was it was just a unique experience because we had some people, I mean, they just wanted to try something that we were doing mm-hmm. and they had never read horror ever. And they just fell in love with it. You know, I mean, it was, they were just eager for more and wanted to read, you know, other books by that author. And so I think it, it created, you know, um, a desire for horror. And I'm not sure I, I, It'd be interesting to see, but I think the pandemic, of course, helped to that because, you mm-hmm. know, you it's good to be about, it's nice, to, you're scared anyway, so it's good to put your fear, right. you know, in something else. So it was, it was nice. I'm hoping that this um, will reach folks as they're, as they're planning summer reading, because I know everybody starts really early. What do you say to library workers who are thinking about doing summer scares? Yeah, I think, you know, they should totally do it because it's a it's a great reading initiative. It's a great way to connect with patrons. The tools are there for you. Mm-hmm. You might meet new people or just reach a completely different patron base that mm-hmm. you haven't been reaching. So it's it's such a great initiative. And, you know, it's really worthwhile. And I and I hope people will use the programming guide to engage with it. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's solid gold. <laughs> and it, it sounds like Ellen, that's kind of what happen in Crystal Falls. It's- it is. Yeah. I mean, that program guide was just perfect. I mean, it gives you everything you need. And I think that's one thing that we have to mention is I think so often with libraries, the emphasis is on these little ones. And that's great. And those summer reading programs have been established and they're there and it's, it's wonderful. There's nothing 
wrong with that. It's just that this is a way to really grow those older groups. You know, your middle school readers, your high school readers, even your adults, they get a chance to do something and it doesn't have to be a big commitment. You know, it's just for the summer. So it's it's kind of nice for them to try, you know, something just for a season. Yeah. And if, if they have kids who are doing summer reading, it's nice for them to also have a summer reading program. You know, so even if they're reading different things, the whole family's doing it. Yeah. And we had a yeah. few parents that were in the adult group and their kids were in the middle school group. So that was kind of neat. Oh, cute. That's like a heartwarming story about Franken toys and Cthulhu's. And I love it. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for chatting. And I'm, I can't wait to hear what amazing and scary things you do this summer. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Yes. Thank you, too. Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is Call Number with American Libraries. No, 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 wait. This is an ad for the Call Number with American Libraries podcast. Join me and the Call Number correspondents each month for conversations with authors, librarians, scholars, and more about topics from the library world and beyond. Past guests Sally Field, Bill Nye the Science Guy, Emmanuel Acho, Kwame Alexander, Roxane Gay, Rick Steves, Julia Alvarez, Wes Moore, Margaret Atwood, Ken Burns, Michael Eric Dyson, and many, many more have joined us to talk about everything from books and writing to library architecture and design. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Call Number with American Libraries. Thanks for listening. Here's the last convo, this time with Booklist's own Julia Smith, Senior Editor in the Books for Youth, who was the middle grade expert on the Summer Scare Selection Committee this year. She makes a compelling case for giving kids spooky books if they want them, and what's hot in horror for children. I am here with Julia Smith. From our Books for Youth department, a beloved editor in the Books for Youth department. And Julia, I want to talk to you about how frightening children are. Wait, no, I want to talk to you about when we think about horror, we don't usually, a, a lot of folks who don't have a lot of ex experience with kids maybe wouldn't put horror in their hands immediately. What, what do you think about that? <laughs> what do you think about that mistake? I guess that's a leading question for you. Yeah. I would say that it's mostly the label of horror that is the stumbling block. Yeah, I think the, the big deterrent people have is sort of instinctual about wanting to protect kids. Mm -hmm. And so horror is scary and full of awful things. Don't give it to children. Yes. Think of the children is what we're what we say. Yes. So I think if you just step back and think more in terms of spooky stories, <laughs> campfire stories, that kind of thing. It's, it puts it in a new light that is a lot more true to the kinds of books that are written for young readers. And there are, of course, going to be the sensitive children who are not going to want anything to do with those books. But a lot of kids like to get scared. I like that campfire analogy, you know, that's because 
when we talk about horror, we talk a little bit about like the adrenaline and the emotion that it evokes. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, when I remember campfire story time and that sort of delicious creeped out feeling that it's like you're scared, but it's not quite the same thing as like a real life terror. Oh, right. It's um sort of a safe space mm-hmm. to feel those things. Right. And it does have that sort of adrenaline rush. And, you know, it's the same feeling you might have on a roller coaster or some kind of amusement park ride. So it's just different ways of setting that off. And so, I mean, there have been kids' books, kids' TV shows mm-hmm. for all of these things forever. And so it's it's been around, but I think a lot of times you wouldn't think of like Nickelodeon's Are You Afraid of the Dark oh, as like horror. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and a lot of us grew up on uh, Goosebumps and... Oh, for sure. Goosebumps and scary stories to tell in the dark, oh, I gosh. think will always be the classic. Maybe that's why people are like, kids shouldn't read horror because they're so traumatized <laughs> by those pictures from scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh my gosh. They are the creepiest so what kind of scary things do middle grade authors mine for their young readers? You know, I mean, I, I'm thinking about some of the tropes that I know of from adult mm-hmm. horror and it's like body horror or haunted houses and stuff like that. I mean, there's definitely going to be haunted houses. Mm-hmm. I think the scary like mystery house sort of thing is almost a character in its own right. Yeah. But yeah, ghosts come up a lot. Any of the sort of supernatural figures that a character might encounter is, it's sure going to be in there. There are a whole series <laughs> devoted to monsters and monster hunting. Oh. And, and so you'll get a whole range of ones in there. Some of them are pulled from more classic mythologies. Other ones are totally made up babysitters who turn out to be watching monsters or turn out to be the monster. Mm -hmm. I think babysitting is often sort of a a setting for that moving to a new town and finding out that there's something weird going on either with your house or with the town. That's very common. So it gives the characters a chance to be brave Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And so I think that's part of the enjoyment for readers. Like like you're there and you're brave alongside them. And there's also, for middle grade in particular, there's often this twist of learning that the monsters are actually nice or (gasps) have some other story. So like, who are the real monsters here? Yes. And... I know there are some examples where you just have like the bad guy is there, but for the for the most part, there can be just like funny twists where it, it makes you step back, check your assumptions, kind of step into other people's other creatures' shoes. Hmm, cute. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's actually a really good reason to read horror. Yeah. Like we said uh earlier, kind of a safe space. Yeah. So when I was talking to Becky and Sylvia earlier about the sort of putting together the reading list Mm -hmm. um, for summer scares, they talked about sort of a spectrum of 
scariness and making sure that different levels of scariness are represented? Yes. Is that something you looked at for middle grades also? Definitely. Middle grade is such a loose term, and I I feel like it sort of means something different to everyone. Mm -hmm. At book list, we kind of make it chapter books for around third grade through middle school, so through eighth grade. Which is a broad range. Really broad range of interest, of maturity, you know, something that's going to scare an eight-year-old may not scare the eighth grader. So it's sort of that and wanting to have an option for sort of everyone in the mix there. So we definitely looked at sort of target age and audience. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that does come up is sort of horror comedy. Oh, yes. So, So there will be some silliness mixed in with the monsters, which is another good way to diffuse like the true scariness mm-hmm. of a situation. So yes, for our youngest readers, we have Ollie's Odyssey by William Joyce. And it was one of my favorites from, I reviewed it for us a few years ago and mm-hmm. just fell in love with it. It's a younger character in that. And so that's sort of good for the the younger readers. And it definitely is creepy. It is. And and I think it it walks the line well between like not taking it too far. Mm -hmm. And so it's a good one to like curl up with your stuffed animal while you're reading or my gosh, or against a a person that you trust. And um, its premise is a boy loses his favorite toy, which is very special to him. And it ends up being sort of a captive of this old carnival that is decrepit and no longer working, but it's the toys that were left behind. Oh my gosh, I already am too scared. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And, and there are really amazing illustrations that are full color and in, intermittent in these chapters and things. And it has really unique narrative voice. And it's it's very much sort of taking the backyard adventure sort of premise mm-hmm. that's really common in books for middle grade and and younger. The second book is Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods by Hal Johnson. And this kind of falls into that short story category that scary stories to tell in the dark would. Okay. I don't think it's quite at that level, but it has some good black and white illustrations in there too. So it, instead of being like a true short story collection, it is set up as sort of a monster field guide. Ooh. And so it's just, and they're all made up all these really weird creatures. So it it can be really it, it can be scary but it can also be funny mm-hmm. in the things that he's thought up so it sort of depends on your mood your disposition as to how you're reading it but it's very entertaining it's just incredibly imaginative and the illustrations are great the cover glows in the dark oh so that's great when you get out your flashlight 
climb into your closet or under your covers. Yes. Yeah. And be guided. Mm-hmm. I love it. So do you have any um, parting words for folks who might be hesitant to um, give a spooky book to a middle grade reader? Yeah, you got to try. You got to see, let them figure out what they like. Mm-hmm. Don't let your own reading preferences get too much in the way of kids trying out new things. But I think also if you stop and look back at what you were reading yeah, when you were at that age, a lot of these things are sort of classics in the pop culture universes and things. And so I think you'll realize that you were reading those or your friends were. Like it wasn't taboo and it's still not. Yeah. So, and look how great we all turned out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't use that as a barometer maybe, but you know, let the kids read what they want. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like when you get them excited and emotionally connected with a book, that's what makes them readers, and I yeah. think that's a really important thing. Ain't that the truth? Well, thank you so much, Julia. I look forward to reading about more spooky books for youngsters and hope you have a great time. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast. Thank you to Becky, Sylvia, Conrad, Evelyn, and Julia for expounding on the beauty of reading horror and what all we can expect from Summer Scares this year. Let me remind you, dear listener, that all of the titles and resources we talked about will be listed in the show notes on booklistonline.com shelf care. Thanks for listening and spooky reading! reading.